You can get it done. What's more, you gotta get it done. There's a gleam, man. There's a gleam. Let's get the gleam, all right? Let's go. Want a piece of that championship? Put it in here. Hey, guys, where else would you rather be? This is Hour 2 of Big Dog Sports Talk with Rick Watson on the WRAD Talk Network. There you go, Wayne. 639-4900. Text line's open, 744-2990. Hope you're doing well. That's Sweet, by the way. The band, sweet song, but also the band Sweet, who also gave us the uh, Ballroom Blitz. little run for them all right good stuff coming up in hour three david teal and uh, dwight vick will join us on the program good stuff yesterday great to hear from uh, liz kitley the tech women get underway tomorrow talked about uh charles barkley talking about the nba and what's wrong with it how bad it is here he is talking to Stephen a smith i'm going to play some of this um I enjoy Charles as much as anybody really in sports television. That entire, it's amazing. You know, here's the thing. As bad as the NBA product has become, and again, it has nothing to do with talent, their studio set to me is the most entertaining set in all of sports. Those guys talking back and forth. I think it's better than any of the NFL pregame shows. It's better than any of the NCAA shows. And I think the reason it works is because Charles Barkley is Charles Barkley. All right, here we go. Here is Chuck talking about everything going on, and we'll get your thoughts, and we'll, we'll put this in perspective when a guy like this, a Hall of Famer, is making these kind of comments. Stephen A., I don't think fans get mad if you're making $30, $40, 50000000 million if you play basketball every night. But you can't make $30, $40, 50000000 million and then sit out games. I think it's disrespectful to the game. I think it's disrespectful to the fans. Because like I say, these fans are paying their hard-earned money. And like I say, especially, you know what's going to be crazy? In this next TV negotiating deal, we're going to have guys making $70, 80000000 million a year. Yeah. And they're going to be saying, wait a minute. 
you're going to make $70 million and you can't play basketball three or four days a week with all the stuff. I mean, they fly private. They got the best medical stuff ever created. And I says, you can't disrespect the fans making $70, $80 million and say, you know what, I can't play basketball four days a week. I mean, you, know, you think see, about what he's saying there, and he goes on to talk about the guys that are working in the steel mills and the coal mines and, and, and all these things. He related it so well. And, and that's a voice that the reason this thing has gotten so much play is because of who it is. It's Charles Barkley. Because usually before he'll go off on something, he's pretty well thought out. He's not doing that, unlike the talking just, uh, I mean, unwatchable blowhards on ESPN. And, and, and the people of that ilk, the shock jock TV fuck, uh, TV folks that, what's his name? I can't think. Who does the show with Shannon Sharp? I've lost his name. Um, what's that guy's name? You know what I'm talking about. The one who had all the uh, controversy with um, the comments that he made. Every time he makes a comment, it's, um, oh my goodness, I can't think of his name. You know, he's on. it's not on ESPN, it's on Fox. It's uh, uh, Fox, 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 Shannon Sharp, and the guy who has the annoying voice. <laughs> I can't recall his name. But anyway, those guys. Skip Bayless, thank you. Good Lord, I couldn't come up with Skip Bayless. They're they're paid just to create, like, I don't know how many of the things they say are actually meaningful. I don't think they actually believe many of the things they say. But when Charles Barkley says something, he's, he's pretty much putting out a state of the fan. Shows you how much I think of Skip Bayless. I couldn't even think of his name. <laughs> Thank you, everyone. <laughs> but... So when he says it, it gets traction. And he's talking to one of the guys who likes to just, you know, he's paid to just create controversy. Now, we've had Stephen A. Smith on the program. I think he's a good dude. He told me, honestly, you know, he's, he's, he's basically playing a role. Those guys are playing roles during those shows. It's not really who they are for the most part. Sometimes it is. I think Skip Bayless is probably more annoying, probably if you know him personally, than he is on air. But. So, yeah, I think you pay attention, and he's right. He's right. And the league's got to fix this, but I don't have a commissioner who's capable of it. Adam Silver, who walks around and, and allows the players to demand trades, he's asked directly about it, and he won't comment on it. Um, continues to do business with China. We have coaches and players that talk against that. They get silenced by the league. Biggest enemy of this country is China in terms of what it could mean down the road. But in any event, I'll digress. Um, And now you're talking about letting guys continue to take off games. And it, it, it is the fans. And I you know I, I talk to these millennials down at Radford University, and it's just it's amazing. They just have this different yeah. If you want to know why we're in the state that we're in, look no further than the millennial generation, because they they try to condone this. Well, you know, that's a lot of games. It's always been a lot of games. 
And as Charles said, the conditioning, the private, you didn't have to, you had to fly commercial many cases before, back in the days. And they didn't have the medical training, health staff, all the folks that are hired for nutrition, for all these things. Now when they fly private, you're getting a complete, complete body rub down, makeover, whatever it might be to get ready. It's not as if you just show up like they used to and just roll out the ball and stretch and play the game. And yet these players who are coddled so much still take off seven, eight, nine nights. I mean, it's, it's a problem. The league's got a huge image problem now. Because I think a lot of fans are sensing that the guys who are making all the money, as Charles Barkley just talked about, are the guys who don't care about the game. And you talk about the younger generation of players that are coming in. I'm not ever going to question their talent because they are immensely talented. I mean, you watch Ja Morant, kid like that, come into the league, and I use him as an example because, you know, I know our very own Shane Nichols coached him and recruited him at Murray State. They communicate all the time. By the way, Ja sent Coach Nichols a couple pairs of his new shoe line. Oh, my goodness gracious. Those things were sharp. I went by to see Shane the other day. He's got those boxes in there with the Jaw box, the Jaw Morant specialized box. I mean, the box looks like it cost $100. Oh, man, they were nice. Very nice. But anyway, I digress. I told him, I said, look, you might need an escort out of the building with those shoes. You might want to go ahead and just put them in your car. (laughs) Uh, But I watch these young players like that, and I'm blown away at how good they are at the game of basketball. Nikola Jokic is as good as any post player in the modern era. Luka Doncic is one of those guys. Kevin Durant is an all-timer. LeBron. Although I think now LeBron's probably facing reality. He's about done with this latest injury. But go younger than that. Go guys who have just been in the league, you know, one, two, three years. You can see the talent. I mean, you just marvel at it. And they are. But they're coming from the generation of entitlement. And maybe because they can't come into the league so young, they just don't have the maturity to handle all the lifestyle and everything else that's going on. So, therefore, they expect to be treated a certain way that they've always been treated because they're very special to the game of basketball, either by AAU coaches, shoe co- uh, companies, before they got to the college ranks. And then, of course, things are arranged, usually which college they're going to go to, and then they're there one year, and then they're done. And then they go into the league, and boom, now they're millionaires, and they have the lifestyle. And this is why the lifestyle is the thing in the league. But glad to see Charles Barkley say it I didn't see a lot of pushback on it I saw people kind of saying yeah he's right Adam Silver though the commissioner who is hired all these commissioners are hired by the owners at some point these millionaire billionaire owners are going to see that their product is floundering and when they start to see a drop off that's when it's going to happen kind of like Walt Disney who's lost billions and billions of dollars, keeps firing people left and right because they no longer are out to make entertaining 
movies or shows, they decide to pander politically and not be true to the original source of material. That's why, that's why Disney's struggling. They ruined the Star Wars franchise. They have ruined the MCU. And that was the biggest movie franchise that has been around maybe forever, the MCU. Well, it's the same thing, which is why you're seeing the restructuring. They fired the CEO. They bring back the old CEO. He's already in trouble. Stocks continue to plummet. Latest Marvel movie seeing the biggest drop from one weekend to the second weekend in the history of Marvel movies because nobody cares anymore. Well, pretty soon fans are going to say, you know what? If the NBA players don't care about us, we don't care about them. It's going to start happening. It really is. And I think that's what Charles Barkley is concerned about because of all those guys, the reason that show works so well, and they are just terrific, by the way. Kenny Smith, Shaq has turned out to be wonderful on that show, hasn't he? Charles Barkley is the centerpiece for me. But even Chuck stays out of the way. Like, he's so good at what he does, he stays out of the way. Back in the first run of the show, um, these radio stations, we were a Fox Sports Radio affiliate. So we would carry the other Fox shows or the ones that the Fox Network would, you know, Tony Bruno, whoever it may be, different folks, um, Petros and Money, those guys. So we had access to some guests. So we put in for some guests, and one of them was um, Charles Barkley. And sure enough, we got a call back. They said, Charles can come on your show. This is around 2007, 2008. Um this certain time of day. I was like, all right, that'd be great. Now, then we were an afternoon show. So he called, I guess it was probably around the beginning of hour two, around four or something. And he was out on the golf course. And he warned me during, warned our producer then. Uh, a matter of fact, I, I think it was Brian Brubaker still. I don't think we'd segued into Jamie Forrest yet. Um, so maybe it was before 2008. Anyway, all I know is um, Chuck, said, hey, I'm here on the golf course. I'm going to be honest with you boys. He goes, I've been drinking. <laughs> but I want to come on and talk about whatever you guys want. So he, he did. He came on. We had him on for about 15 minutes. And even though he was distracted and you could hear the guys, you know, he was out there, I don't know, Wayne Gretzky. I don't know if that was before the riff with Michael Jordan. I do know Gretzky was out there because he yelled his name one time. But – even then, as distracted as he was, and at that point he said he was in the cart, he, did, he gave a great interview, and we talked about the league and his career. And even though you had all this noise going, and, and now sure, he'd be answering a question, and all of a sudden he'd yell at one of the guys that would make a bad shot. But it made for great radio. But he was always very respectful. You know, he didn't really ever make it about him, always understanding we had an audience that wanted to hear from him. And I was very impressed with that. And this was a guy then who was just kind of getting started in his media pursuit of a career. And he has really excelled. He's terrific. But those guys are a lesson to a lot of young broadcasters, a lot of young folks in the media. 
And I know that you're talking about three of them being athletes, and those guys do have an advantage, but not all of them work as athletes. But Ernie Johnson kind of being the, the straight man for those guys, if you will, that is the best sports set on television. And they all love their product. They love the league they cover, but they're all very concerned about it. And I think when those kind of guys are looking at it and talking about it, maybe that'll get the attention of the younger players. Maybe that does. Maybe it doesn't. I don't know. But uh, it's made a, a whole lot of noise, and, and I'm glad. And I'm glad Charles talked about it. All right, we're going to take a break. We're going to come back. By the way, we have tech tickets for the Florida State game, so if you want them, give me a call here. We'll, we'll set you up. i got two pair, two pair of tickets for Tech and Florida State Senior Day on Saturday for men's basketball, 639-4900 if you want to go see the game. We'll be back. Bruno, and you're listening to Big Dog Sports Talk with Rick Watson. What I want, you've got that it might be hard to handle. Like a flame that burns a candle. The candle feeds a flame. What I got, full stock of thoughts and dreams that scatter. You know, I can't remember. Did Hall and Oates ever have any hits? <laughs> oh, wait, wait. By the way, congratulations to uh, Jonathan and Mary. They have uh, claimed the uh, pair of tickets that we have for the Tech Men's basketball game. This might be my favorite Hall & Oates tune. I mean, I, I really like Sarah Smile. I like Rich Girl. You know what's really uh, kind of underrated for Hall & Oates? They did the uh, the Out of Touch album. Remember the Out of Touch album? They had like a 12-inch single version of that song. It's really good the way they mixed that together. That was always one of my faves back in the day. <laughs> Age myself. Oh, well. All right, good stuff. Good stuff. All right. Glad to see the tickets go to fo- – both folks very excited they're going to the game, so that makes me happy. I love the fact we can get people somewhere they may not have thought they were going to be able to go uh, to a sporting event. So thank you for listening. All right, uh, coming up, David Teal, the Hall of Famer from the Richmond Times-Dispatch. We're going to talk about the ACC a little bit and if his mindset has changed about how many teams they might get into the tourney. And then, obviously, David has been doing this for such a long, long time, and he knew – um, Terry Holland as well as anybody from a media perspective and obviously we just lost Coach Holland great man and I know I keep referencing the first run of the show but hey it was 10 years of my life we had Coach Holland on numerous times during that time and um, just awesome just absolutely awesome but in any event um, had a great time with uh, with him when he came on. And I don't think there's too many folks, even if you are a diehard Hokey fan, that would have anything negative to say about Terry Holland. So he'll talk about that a little bit as well. Then Dwight Vick, and hey, we're going to get right into it because I've already had, uh, let's see, one, two, about 15 text messages about Dwight coming on today. Please ask him about Todd Washington. <laughs> 
The offensive line coaching search continues in Blacksburg. Yeah, we'll get into that with D. Vic as well. We're halfway home on the Thursday edition. Big South Tournament Eve for me. The women get underway today at 2. Go, ladies. We'll be back. Stay with us. News is next. This is Matt Money Smith, and you're listening to Big Dog Sports Talk with Rick Watson. So here's Ballroom Blitz. See? See how everything comes full circle on the program? <laughs> we were just talking about sweet, right? We let off the hour for Wayne here in Radford. A little love is like oxygen. Here, here they are, Ballroom Blitz. This is the one you remember, Tia Carrera. Man, nothing wrong with that. Uh, she was in the Wayne's World movie, remember? And this was uh, the song that she sang at the end when they kept doing all the alternate endings. Remember that? <laughs> I mean, hell, I've already dated myself. Let's just talk about Wayne's World. By, by the way, a movie that was very responsible for uh, the first resurgence of Bohemian Rhapsody when uh, they had the the headbanging scene inside of the light blue AMC Pacer as they were going out for the evening. A little bit of Bohemian Rhapsody, gentlemen. 639-4900-744-2990. All right, so I'm going to – I just heard that story. I'm going I'm to get into something here that has nothing to do with sports, but it really bothers me, so I'm going to talk about it because it's my show. But I just heard, I don't know if you paid attention to the news, I just heard that an officer got shot and killed in the line of duty. I'm glad they're reporting it on the news. And I keep getting reminded about how much we need to appreciate the men and women who serve on our police forces. And I'm not trying to get into a political debate here, but there was a diatribe that's been thrown out because there were some bad cops that did some horrible things that we should defund the police, that we should take away these officers' jobs, that we should make our streets less safe, that we should blame the entire profession in every police station and force in the country for the acts of a handful of others. And... It's one of the most asinine assertions that I've ever heard people jump on and try to support. And it's amazing how many politicians who wanted to pander are now pulling back all those comments when they saw what it meant when they decided to go ahead and not appreciate the law enforcement officials in their towns or their cities. Right? With rampant crime. You see if you can walk down the street of, well, any major street in New York now without having a threatening vibe. Chicago, wherever it might be. The mayor just lost her job there because of the lax reaction to crime and the blaming of, of, of police. Well, I know a lot of the law enforcement people here in the New River Valley. You can only speak about where you come from, right? 
These are some great people, men and women, out sacrificing their time, their lives. I'm very appreciative of the work that they do. And I think you should be too. And it just really bugs me that we're going to hear about this shooting of this officer. It happens a lot. The media won't pick up on it at all. They won't follow it. They won't talk about it. They won't get into it. They won't think about the gentlemen's families. They won't think about how that affects the rest of the officers. Right? But as soon as something negative happens in some isolated incident, boy, here comes the attack again on our officers. And I just think it's absolutely ridiculous and one of the just biggest examples of what's wrong with everything. With the media, with pandering, with politicians, with people who just don't understand why and and, and how we should value our police forces. But I just know, again, from whether it's the Radford University police that I know very, very well and how great they are at their job, whether it's the the town police, wherever town you're from, where you're talking about Radford City and Blacksburg, Montgomery County, Dublin, I don't care where you're talking about. They are, they are very important. They are very important. So I don't know. I just wanted to get it off my chest. It just bugs me because it's going to really bother me that this story is just going to disappear. They're just going to disappear. The this, this story's going to disappear because, hey, something bad happened to a police officer, so, hey, we don't want to focus on that. But, hey, this one police officer did this, so let's just defund the entire outfit. It just shows you where we are with the mindset right now in this country. And I just want to say that sincerest thank you to all of our men and women serving our law enforcement uh, uh staffs here in and around the NRV. All right. Just had to get that off my chest, so there it is. Um, college football. They're looking to shorten the games. I know, I just talked about uh, Adam Silver trying to say, hey, we're going to reach a consensus score in NBA overtime. Um, and I bring this up because yesterday it was the Commissioner of the ACC, Jim Phillips, who was in the spotlight. All 10 FBS commissioners are unanimous in their support for three proposed rules changes that are being discussed to shorten the length of college football game. Phillips was on ESPN yesterday. They're meeting this week in Indianapolis, and here are the changes, and I think this is, this is actually going to be something that we all agree with. Like, this isn't some kind of mind-sweeping change that we're going to go, wait a minute, that alters everything about the game, like baseball's going through. Well, it's been talked about for I don't know how many decades. I've never understood why they stopped the clock on first downs. They're going to stop doing that. So the running of the clock after a first down, like in the NFL, is going to happen except in the last two minutes of either half. They're going to eliminate the option for teams to call consecutive timeouts and carrying over any fouls to the next quarter. In other words, so if there's a flag at the end of the first quarter, you're no longer they're going to finish that quarter or half with an untimed down. They're going to move on to the second quarter. Phillips said even if it's a minimal amount, it's going to reduce the number of impact plays. 
He's the chair of what they call the Game Length Subgroup. Because I think these are pretty non-controversial. And I think they're going to all be part of the 2023 season. Don't you agree? I mean, I don't, I don't have a problem with any of those. I think I really like the idea of the clock not being stopped. What do you think? I like the fact that it's going to have the NFL rule. I think it helps college players get acclimated to the NFL. Makes coaches have to be more in tune with those drives. And then when you get to two minutes, it goes back to the old rule. So that's happening. And I think it's something that everybody's going to say, okay, sure, sure. So their goal is to eventually shorten the game by at least seven or eight minutes, which is around eight plays. And again, they're trying to think about the health and so forth of student-athletes and all that. So there you go. And with the expansion of the playoffs, they're thinking about the 17 games potentially in one season, yada, yada, yada. So they're trying to get ahead of some of these smaller rules that are out there, and I like it. I like that rule. I hope all those rules, especially the uh, clock running after a first down rule, I think all that makes sense to me. Because I never think about the one they just mentioned with the uh, foul coming at the end of a quarter, the end time down. I don't think we see that a lot. I know we see it some, but we don't see it a lot. But I like it. Now, the one rule that's going to get shot down is one that hasn't gained much support at all from the other commissioners. It's restarting the game clock after an incomplete pass when the ball is ready for play. I don't like that one. I think that alters the game too much. Right now, the clock, as it does at every level of football, stops on an incomplete pass. But this rule, if it were ever adapted, would be the clock then would start as soon as the ball is set down and the official steps away. And I don't think that is something that we need in the collegiate game. I don't like that. That's kind of getting a little too intrusive. I agree. Yeah, Bokey Bob, why not eliminate two TV timeouts? There's your 10 minutes. <laughs> Do I like fourth and 15 instead of an onside kick? Um, no, I don't like it. If that's an option, maybe I wouldn't like it as a as a as just a taught rule. Text messages are flying in. If they care for safety, then they'd get rid of turf fields. Agreed. Agreed on that. If somebody wants to try the fourth and fifteen, and it's an option, sure. But, and I know the onside kicks are not highly successful. And I don't know how you ever come up with the right amount of yards for that, right? For the fourth down. Because the problem is, once that previous play that is completed gets the offenses and defenses off the field and you're getting ready for the kick, I mean, that seems like that's just that just causes a lot of a lot of things that you don't that you don't need. So I'm glad that one's not going to make it, but I really like the other three. We'll see what kind of a difference that it makes. 
And look, I understand with the bigger and stronger athletes that are coming through and the extended season coming up in college football that we all can't wait for once they get an actual real playoff. You got to do some little things. I think those are sacrifices that won't bother me. I don't think it'll bother most football fans. I really do. Ed writes in, listening in Salem, where do you stand on the elimination of the kickoff? I don't want to see it. I mean, I think the kickoff is symbolic of the entire game. Um, I understand that they've done their research, and I can't argue with the research numbers, that many of these you know, concussions, some of the more serious injuries, you're, you're leaving yourself very vulnerable on those return teams. As one of the guys who go down to cover, there's a lot of fast-moving bodies, big, strong bodies running into one another and diving. I mean, I get it. But I don't want to see a game just start at the 25-yard line. I think that takes away too much of the tradition of the game. Even if it's a symbolic kickoff, Ed, maybe you know, maybe you agree that they shouldn't have. Re- but the return, the kick return, is still one of the most exciting plays of the sport, too. And this is where you can get caught up a little bit too much in it. You try to make it as safe as possible with the rules you can enforce as. Um, an officiating crew, but at the same time, um, I don't want to eliminate returns. I mean, how many times does it, it switch the field on a good punt or a good punt return, kickoff, take a gamble, run it out from five yards deep, get it out to the 40, that changes the whole compl- – I think the game needs that variety. I think the game becomes very, very static if, okay, here we are. After that last touchdown, here we go. Ensuing drive begins at the 25-yard line. We're not going to have a kickoff. Everybody's just going to run out. The, you know, and I, uh, I don't like that. I want them to continue to do what they can to keep players safe. But I don't like it. I don't like it. Now, yeah, the adapt. I'm getting a lot of folks talk about the um, what they're doing now in the XFL. Now, that's interesting. Have you seen that? They line up the kickoff team and the receiving team front line. They're five yards apart, and nobody can move until the returner touches the ball. So that was a little tweak on it that was interesting. I think I need to look at it a little bit more. All right? But I I do like what they're doing now. At least they're trying to adapt it. I think that's okay. I don't think that's a problem. Agreed. Opening kickoff is the most anticipated play to start a game. Can you imagine a Super Bowl starting without a kickoff? Getting rid of the kickoffs would be a disaster. I agree, and I think the NFL coaches have voted this thing down because obviously this is something Roger Goodell has brought up many times in the NFL over the last four or five years, and every time it gets shot down because it is too imperative. Not only is it symbolic of what the game is, but it's also a very strategic element of the game. And the NFLPA doesn't like it because you may have guys on a roster who are just kick returners. So all of a sudden, you're telling the guy he doesn't have a job anymore. Hey, we don't need him. He's not necessarily going to be an every down or slot receiver, but he's our kick returner. 
I mean, there are still positions on rosters for, for kick returns. So the NFLPA is not going to sign off on that as well. So I hope they just keep trying to tweak it, but don't, don't eliminate it. I don't, I don't want to see it eliminated. And besides, in the NFL where they kick it off now, most of those kicks, I don't know what the numbers are. I'd have to look it up, the touchbacks. But most of those kicks are touchbacks anyway. That's why the guys will run up. They'll be a few yards deep in the end zone. They put their arms out like they're an airplane, you know, to say, hey, no return. Let's everybody run off the field. But what they're doing, these initial changes, I like. I just hope they don't get greedy. Because I don't know about you. Don't you think it'd be really bad to see an incomplete pass, especially late in the game, and then they respot the ball and start the clock again? I, I just that just that fly that's almost like eliminating kickoffs to me. It's like that flies in the face of the way the game has always been played. Anything like that changes it to where it's not recognizable. See, in baseball, you're just speeding up the time in between pitches. And guys adjusting their crotch and their batting gloves and all that, the batters who step out of the box. I've never understood why they have to adjust their... A lot of times guys will be standing there, they'll take a pitch high and away, yet they'll step out of the box and undo their batting gloves and then retighten them as part of their routine before they dig back in there. That's why I don't have a problem with the pitch clock overall. It's shortening games. College baseball needs it big time. I hope that's something that follows its way into the college game because you're looking at college baseball games. Some of these games, I mean, I've called games down there at uh, at Radford conference games on a Thursday, Friday night, and you're looking at four-plus hours. They need to do something about it in the collegiate game. So I'm not minding the, um, the pitch clock at all, to be honest with you. I know there were some struggles early in spring training, but that's why you have it in spring training. And I think once we're watching the game, once you get into the middle of April – we're not going to even think about it. I really don't. And it's not, by the way, I had somebody ask, you know how you're seeing it now in spring training? They put the big clock up and it's distracting. It's not going to be that way during regular season games. They're going to put it like on the jumbotron up there, on the big scoreboard behind the outfield, and the umpires are going to have the same clocking system. It's not going to be sitting there counting down while you're watching the game. I did see that, so... You don't have to worry about that. They're just doing it right now at some of these ballparks they're playing in during spring in uh, Florida and Arizona. All right, we're wrapping up Hour 2. When we come back, remind you what's ahead in the third hour. Stay with us. Whoa, time out. Big Dog Sports Talk is taking a time out. Wait a minute. Time out. You want to say that one more time without the sarcasm? BTSD will return in a moment on WRAD. Program. David Teal, the Hall of Famer, scheduled to join us from the Richmond Times-Dispatch to lead off our third hour, followed by Dwight Vick. So 
All that's coming up as we roll along here on this Thursday. Supposed to rain uh, throughout much of the day. Right now, though, there's some blue sky overhead outside of our studios here in Fairlawn. Stay with us. Hour three, straight ahead. David Teal next.